Our scripture today is from Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Genesee, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Praise be to God. I want to tell you about a friend of mine, Matt. Not my Matt. This is a different Matt. A Matt I know who lives in Wichita. Lots of Matts. But Matt is the kind of guy that you would probably just look right past if you saw him on the street. He's in his mid-40s. He has a really big beard that is a mix of gray and brown, same as his hair. And honestly, Matt doesn't do too much to keep it in great shape. Matt is not the kind of guy who spends hundreds of dollars on beard products and trims, okay? He's more the kind of guy who just kind of lets it grow and sees what happens. Matt doesn't wear expensive clothes. I wouldn't be surprised if he told me that most of the time he shops at the thrift store. Matt used to live in the suburbs, and work at a church as a youth director. But then he and his wife moved into the urban core of Wichita, the kind of neighborhood that most of us would not choose intentionally to go live in. Matt moved there because he was starting a nonprofit that is focused on being a good neighbor. It's called the Neighboring Movement. And he and his co-founders, they had this belief that everybody has gifts and that life is better when we connect with one another in community and we share those gifts with one another. And they think that real and tangible ways can be found to help neglected communities build up their capacity from within by utilizing those gifts of the people right there in the neighborhood. So they moved to this neighborhood to be good neighbors and to help other people connect. So Matt spends his days meeting his neighbors, helping his neighbors, making music with his neighbors, having dinner parties with his neighbors, talking to other people about neighboring, teaching churches and other community groups about the power of neighboring. Matt doesn't make very much money at this, but money is about the last thing that Matt cares about. He cares about the people around him, and he's focused his life in on serving others. Or then there's this guy, Tim, that I know, who I met through my Matt, my husband Matt. Tim lives in Kansas City, and he was a business executive for 30 years. He worked most recently as a higher-up at Sprint. 
And then six or seven years ago, there was this reorganization going on at Sprint, and Tim was offered a buyout, and he took it. And he took the buyout because in 2013, after raising their biological children, Tim and his wife decided to become foster parents and to foster older teens, the kind of kids who enter the system too old to ever get adopted, and they end up living in foster care until they age out at age 18. Well, becoming a foster parent to teens helps Tim realize that once these kids age out of foster care, the support for them just stops. It's like cold turkey. They're on their own. And usually with no or very limited family support, that's why they were in foster care in the first place, right? And if you know any 18-year-olds, you know that at that age, humans still need a lot of support and encouragement to find our way into adulthood. So Tim, he discovered that the outcomes for kids in that, that age out of foster care, they are often not good. Like 58% of those kids graduate high school by 19, only 58% of them, or only 3% of kids who age out of foster care end up finishing college by the time they're 25. 20% of kids who age out of foster care end up homeless by age 21. That's just three years after they leave the foster care system. A fifth of them are homeless. Or for girls, 71% of them get pregnant by the time they're 21. It is a rocky road for these kids. And Tim decided he wanted to do something to help. So he started this organization. He quit his, or left his corporate job, and he started this organization called Youth Thrive, and it's focused on helping these exact kids as they age out of foster care. They get set up with mentors, friends, encouragers. They get financial literacy help. They get help learning how to drive and get a driver's license. As they save money, their money gets matched so they can build resources. They get the support that we all need to move from being teenagers to adults. They get this team of people that's in their corner. Tim has taken all his business skills and used them to help some of the most vulnerable young adults in Kansas. And he's changing lives in the process. Now, what is it that has motivated Matt and Tim and many others like them to make these kind of life choices? What has inspired them to work so hard, not for their own fame or glory, not for riches, not for luxuries, but to see change and improvement in the lives of other people? I'm sure both of them could spend hours telling us about the twists and turns in their lives that took them to those specific choices, but I know that bottom line, for both of them, Fundamentally, what they do every day is rooted in their baptism in Jesus Christ. It's rooted in their desire to serve Jesus with their whole lives. For both of them, what they do and who they are is grounded in being a disciple of Jesus and calling him Lord. Now, we're in week three here of our series, Washed, where we're considering the promises that we make at our moment of baptism just a reminder that in baptism, we received the waters of grace from God, and Lynn and Denny did such a great job of reminding us of the goodness and the fullness of water this morning. This grace that comes to us through water is God's gift to us. It comes to us without price. It comes from God's own initiative. God is the one who gives. God acts first, and then we respond. We respond with commitments of faith to the overwhelming goodness and love of God. 
And we're looking more closely together at just what that response is, the promises that we make. So remember, the first question that we get asked in the liturgy when we come here to this font is, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? We talked about that two weeks ago. Question number one. And question number two, do you accept the freedom and power that God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? We talked about that last week. And finally, we get to the third question, today's question. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you put your whole trust in his grace? Do you promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? And there's a lot packed into those few lines. Just take a minute to look at it with me. Let's go back to the first part of that slide. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you put your whole trust in his grace? Do you promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages and nations and races? I mean, that's the deal, right? That's the crux of it. That's what we're doing here. That's why we're gathered here. Because we've said yes to that. Or if we haven't said yes all the way, perhaps we're on our way to saying yes. Perhaps we're considering saying yes. But the bottom line is, this is what Jesus is asking us. Jesus is saying, here's my grace. It's yours. It's free. Have it. It's here for you. All you have to do is reach out and take it. I'm giving you everything I have Jesus says, I'm giving you forgiveness for all you've done. I'm giving you, I'm giving you power to change the world, and I'm giving you life forever. All you have to do is reach out and take it. So Jesus says, do you see me as your Savior? Do you trust me wholly? And will you call me Lord? It's a big ask. It requires a big response also happens to be the very same ask that Jesus asked the disciples at that lakeside in Galilee. Last week we considered the story of Levi, the tax collector, and how he came to be a follower of Jesus. Today we hear the story of Simon and James and John and how they decided to follow Jesus. It's a, a story that we find in multiple of the Gospels. But Luke, he gives us the most context, thankfully, because if we only had the story that we have in Mark, that kind of sounds like Jesus was just sauntering by the lake one day and he kind of flicked his hand, come on, and the disciples are like, sure, let's go. But Luke, thankfully Luke, he gives us a story. By the time we get to chapter 5 in Luke, Jesus has already done enough in the region of Galilee to have gotten pretty famous. He's healed people, he's taught in the synagogues, People were starting to know his message. They wanted to hear from him. They wanted help from him. So it's no surprise that that day a big crowd had gathered on the lake. So many that Jesus was feeling a little hemmed in. He decided he should go out on the lake on a boat in order to get a little space so he could teach them. And he chose Simon's boat. Now Simon had already finished his work for the night. He'd been fishing all night, caught nothing, cleaning up on the beach. He was ready to go home. Also, it's important to know that Jesus and Simon had already met each other. They were not strangers to one another. Earlier, Jesus had healed Simon's mother-in-law of a high fever. So he had been in Simon's house at least once in Capernaum. 
Well, Jesus used Simon's boat to teach just a little way from the shore, but after that was over, he had something more in mind for Simon and his friends. He wanted more than just borrowing their boats. He, he actually wanted them. He wanted their help. He wanted their companionship. He wanted their discipleship. So Jesus told them to row out into deeper water and put their nets back down for more fish. And Simon, skeptical. I mean, sure, he had seen Jesus heal his mother-in-law. Yes, he had heard Jesus' wisdom right there from his own boat. But he had also been out in those deep waters all night himself fishing, and he found no fish. So he was reluctant. But he still did what Jesus asked. And you know what happened? The nets got so full of fish that he had to ask James and John to come row out and help. And still, there were so many fish in the boat that the boats were threatening to sink. Simon's response to this unbelievable moment, to this abundance that Jesus provided, to this gift, what did Simon do? He repented. He falls at Jesus' feet and he confesses, I am a sinful man. Do you repent of your sins? That's our first question in the liturgy. Simon says that he's not worthy of Jesus. But Jesus affirms to Simon what Jesus affirms to us all, that it's not about being worthy. Jesus doesn't need us to be worthy. He needs us to be ready. Ready to listen, ready to follow. So Jesus tells Simon that he has a different job for him to do, this job of being a disciple. This job of spreading Jesus' message of forgiveness and love and mercy to all who need it. And when they get back to the shore, the three men, they leave everything, including that miraculous catch of fish, and they follow Jesus. Jesus says, put out into the deep water. That's his first instruction. What he wanted to show Simon and the others couldn't be done in that shallow water near the beach put out into the deep water. For me, that's another way that Jesus invites them into discipleship wholeheartedly. Put out into the deep water. It's like saying, Simon, I want you to go all in. It's the same connotation, I think, from this third baptismal question. Do you confess Jesus as your Savior? Do you put your whole trust in his grace? Do you promise to serve him as your Lord? Are you willing to put out into the deep water and see what Jesus has in store? And when we say yes to that, it's like saying we're going all in with Jesus. I mean, we don't want to answer that question and say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to call you Savior, but I'm also going to have some backup plans in case it doesn't work out. We're asked to put our whole trust in his grace to serve him as Lord. It's not about going partway. It's about committing ourselves to the path of discipleship and seeing where that will lead And you know, that might mean that we come to a place like Matt or Tim did where we make really big choices about our lives that change our lives in big ways. It might mean we change jobs or we move to a new neighborhood or we start a nonprofit or we reorient our finances or we change our lifestyle so that we're freed up to pursue the things that God has called us to do. And I think if Matt or Tim were here, they would tell you that such choices lead to joy and they lead to hope and they lead to immense satisfaction, even with everything they have given up 
or turned aside. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your savior? Do you put your whole trust in his grace and promise to serve him as your Lord? My parents answered yes to that question on my behalf at my baptism when I was five months old. I affirmed that same question at my confirmation in seventh grade, not having a clue where it was gonna take me. Guess what, it took me to pastoral ministry. (laughs) Here I am, trusting in Jesus' grace, serving him as Lord. For me, that meant a decision for seminary and then leadership in the local church, and it has been a blessing to me every step along the way. But I know, and Jesus knows, that not everyone is gonna follow the path of Tim or Matt or become a local church pastor. If you think that you might be called to something like that, like what those guys are doing, or pastoral ministry, I'd love to talk to you about it. I mean, God calls people into vocational ministry, into new chapters of life and work all the time. And if you think that it might be time for a change for you to follow the call of God on your life, let's talk about it. But for most of us, the path of Tim or Matt is not our path. And that doesn't make you less of a disciple. It doesn't make your affirmation of that third question any less real. It does mean, perhaps, though, that discipleship requires a little intentional reflection. That we need to be purposeful about keeping our discipleship from being just one more thing we have to do on our to-do list. Because our discipleship is more than that. It's so much more foundational than that. And my hope is that this third baptismal question will be a reminder to us that our discipleship, our life of faith, our following of Jesus is not just one more thing that we already fit into our busy life. It's not just a task on our to-do list. God is is not somebody that you just need to remember to check in with occasionally like like you do your best friend from college or your cousin who lives in Arizona. Jesus is not somebody just to ponder when he happens to cross your mind because a certain song came on the radio. Discipleship is not just one more thing to fit into your life. What Jesus asks of his followers is that we start with him, that we use him as our grounding and our baseline, that we orient our whole lives around the following of Jesus, and then we fit our other stuff into that. And we can do that. We can orient our life through Jesus. We can make our decisions based on his teaching, rely on him for our salvation, trust in his grace, serve him as Lord. We can do that while we parent our kids or care for our parents or neighbor to our neighbors or hang out with our friends. We can live in such a way that that what we do and what we say and how we give, that's a reflection of our love for Jesus. We can do that in our work as nurses or teachers or accountants or UPS drivers or grocery store workers or or musicians or security guards or any other way that we have found to make a living. And the more we put out into that deep water, the more we hear and heed the call of Jesus, the more rich and beautiful I believe we will find life to be the more deeply we trust in Jesus' grace, the more grace we will find. The more we lean on Jesus as Savior, the more fully we will find ourselves saved day in and day out as we navigate life. 
The great thing about this third question in the liturgy is it's one we never stop answering. Actually, that's true for all three questions, but especially this third one is a question that Jesus asks us again and again, and we have the chance to answer with our whole hearts. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you put your whole trust in his grace? And do you promise to serve him as your Lord? Yes, Jesus, we do. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you.